Well, friends, this morning, I want to turn to this letter written by Peter. And it's found in 1 Peter. It's toward the end of the New Testament there, right in there before Revelation. If you want to look it up in the Pew Bible. And in this letter, it starts off in the most interesting way. Peter starts off this letter saying, To the exiles. You ever think about receiving a letter like that? To the exiles? You know, isn't that a, that's a great way to start any letter to the church. To start any letter to Christians, to followers of Jesus. Because that's who we are. We are exiles. We're, we're exiled. We're not in heaven. We're not in eternal glory with Christ quite yet. We're in this world for a while. And, but we know that we have a citizenship that is bigger than this world. And that's why we go through this world living somewhat as aliens and exiles. And Peter starts to learn that way. And then he wants to give some practical advice for what it means to live that way. And right about as he starts wrapping up, and we're here in chapter 3, verse 8, we get this practical advice from Peter. Finally, all of you, have unity of spirit, sympathy, love for one another, a tender heart and a humble mind. Do not repay evil for evil or abuse for abuse, but on the contrary, repay with a blessing. I actually think the way we ought to say this is be a blessing. On the contrary, be a blessing. For to this you were called to inherit a blessing. Well, that's practical advice. It's practical advice right on the face of it as we see that anger and evil have a way of escalating in the world. That's human nature. I know my first reaction if somebody insults me is not to turn around and say, oh, bless you. Thank you. Oh, and I'm not going to finish the sermon by in inviting you all to go out into the narthex and start insulting each other so that we can be a blessing to one another and, and practice out these practical words of wisdom. But they are practical. Just think about it. Think about how things escalate, whether it's a playground fight that some kids get into and they start calling each other names. The next thing you know, they're wrestling in the dirt. They're hitting each other. Or whether it's on a more terrible scale and weapons are being used, it escalates. There's an interesting study that just came out on human nature. Just last, uh, two weeks ago, I read about this. Some scientists did up a little experiment where they had people sit across from each other and they gave them both the same instructions. So what you're supposed to do is you're supposed to press on the other person's arm exactly the same amount of pressure that they press on your arm. And you know what happened, don't you? I mean, you can predict what happened. They didn't tell each other what the instruction of the other person was. They just told each person, well, you're to press exactly as hard as the other person pressed on your arm. And then they began the experiment. Well, the experiment got out of control immediately. Every single time they tried it, it escalated to the point where people were, ow, that hurts, because they started pressing harder and harder. You see, we have this tendency to underestimate how we hurt one another, whether it's physical or emotional. Because we just don't feel that. We don't feel how much our words hurt other people. And I know when I get hurt by words, my first reaction is to get defensive. And because of the way I am, I'll probably do it in a kind of passive-aggressive way. And I'll be sarcastic. 
you know, and I'll end up hurting the other person. And it escalates. Well, how do I stop doing that? How do I, how do I become the kind of person that doesn't do that? Just imagine if we all stopped doing that, how different the world would be. Well, how many family squabbles would just stop dead in their tracks? How many wars never would even started? Um, how much empty airtime there would be because there would be no more shock jocks on radio? <laughs> it would be a different world. It would be the kind of world that we're called to be members of, that we're called to be citizens of, when we recognize our greater calling. You know, it's also practical wisdom in another way. It's practical because our calling is to be people who follow Jesus. Well, now, how can we carry the message of Jesus if we're the kind of people who repay evil for abuse? How can we, how can we carry the message of the gospel? Because that's not the example that he set for us. We follow someone who set an example by going to the cross and then saying, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. That's the one we follow. And the practical advice tells us that we can't be that, we can't deliver that blessing to the world unless we follow the example of Jesus. There's no way to communicate it any other way than by the way we live our lives, to be a blessing to the people around us. So this is doubly practical advice. But you know it's something else too. It's not just advice for how to get along and avoid conflicts that hurt each other. It's not just advice for how to spread the gospel. It's advice on how to receive the blessing of God in our lives now. This is how we do it. We do it by being a blessing. We do it by knowing who we are, by being the kind of people who know who we are. Let me ask you a question. Scott, who are you? See? A child of God. Amen. The first thing we think of is, is, is who are you? Is, oh, my name. Bruce. That's why I'm Bruce. Well, if I, that's why, I, Scott, forgive me. I, you know, I, I, I took advantage of him. I took advantage of him, right, because I said, Scott, who are you? Well, I already took his answer away. <laughs> How do you explain who you are, if, if not by your name? Well, the first thing you do is you start thinking of relationships. What did Scott say? He said, I'm a child of God. The very first thing in his mind was the relationship with God. That's an example. Scott, did we talk about this before the sermon? No. Oh. We did. And you owe me. <laughs> it's payback time. See, I'm paying back the blessing that Scott gave me <laughs> a few weeks ago when he spoke to me while I was sitting there and said something about me. So, there's a blessing, Scott. Comes around, goes around. <laughs> but you see, who we are isn't just found in a name, it's found in relationships. So, but maybe the first thing we think of is relationships, you know, like son of, daughter of, parent of, uh, brother or sister of. We think of relationships. And then maybe the next thing we think of is maybe work. 
com- uh, we, we might think of it as a calling. Well, uh, I'm a pastor of such and such a church, or I'm a, a lawyer, I'm a gardener, I'm a homemaker, I'm a teacher. We think of those things. But you know, the real calling in those isn't, isn't necessarily the work that we do. Uh, just, just doing work doesn't make it a calling. What makes it a calling is that it serves somebody else. And it's only when we realize how our work serves somebody else that it becomes a calling. It becomes a calling in God, in Christ that he's given us, because it serves other people. And that's how we identify ourselves, by relationship. You know, it's the same way in science. Pick anything. Pick the atom. It's made up of protons and neutrons and electrons and a whole bunch of other stuff with funny names. But you know, the, science, the, the funny names are, are nothing more than funny names. The only way a scientist can study those things is by studying how they relate to each other. The only way a scientist can figure out what a proton is is by looking at the way the proton interacts with the other pieces of the atom, the way it interacts with the neutrons and the electrons. To measure its charge, to measure its charge only matters if you can measure it in relationship to something else. That is the fundamental nature of reality, friends. The fundamental nature of reality, whether you're studying physics, you're studying the gospel, you're studying the family, is relationship. And that's what Peter is getting at here. And when we look at this relationship and what it brings and how it brings a blessing, you've got to realize it is very clear to the people that Peter is writing to when he says, you are called to inherit a blessing. This is kind of code language. I mean, the people in Peter's church, they know exactly what he's talking about. That is exactly the same language that is in their Bible, in their Torah, in Genesis, where it says the words that James just read for us. You will be a blessing. I will make you a blessing. I will bless you and I will make you a blessing. That was the call of Abraham. This 75-year-old man that God called upon and told him to do what? Walk. Literally. The literal translation is walk. Or maybe better, get up and go. And you're going to go to this place. You don't know what it is or what you're going to find there. And what does he ask Abraham to do? He asked Abraham to give up everything that identifies him. He's 75 years old. He has lived a full life in a place. He's got relations. And he's asked to get up and go. And you realize that when this call comes to him, his name isn't even Abraham. You see, even his name is going to get changed. Everything that identifies him is going to get changed. That's what happens to us when we receive our call from God. We take on a new identity. And it's later that God changes Abram's name to Abraham. When he tells him how he's going to make him a father of many nations. And he tells him how he and his wife Sarah, or Sarai, because her name gets changed too. God tells them how they're going to have this baby. And they're both about 100 years old. And he falls on the ground and starts laughing. It's ridiculous. God, this is ridiculous, this calling. But it was true, wasn't it? God did what he said he was going to do. And he changed his name. 
Now, I think that's really, ultimately, the most practical advice of all in this letter from Peter. Because it's one thing to say, I want you to go out and be a blessing to people. And here, I want you to be sympathetic, um, be uh, gentle of heart and humble of mind and caring. And, you know, when people insult you or abuse you, don't do that back to them. Bless them. Give me a break. How am I supposed to do that? Isn't, isn't my natural reaction to want to hurt back or defend myself? How do I do that? Please tell me. I think that's exactly what Peter is doing. He's telling us how to do that. You see, we don't do that by controlling our emotions. The emotions well up and they're there. And once they well up, they're going to be dealt with one way or another. If it doesn't come out at that moment, it will either work on my insides or it will come out at a later time. But those emotions are there and they're hard to control. Practically speaking, the only way to be this kind of blessing in people's lives is to know who you are on the inside before those things happen to you. So that when those things happen to you, because they will, your first reaction isn't anger. Your first reaction is knowing who you are and knowing that those words and those insults don't define you. You're not defined by the world. You're not defined by the people around you. You're not defined by the criticism that you received from someone in your life in the past or now. You're not defined by those things. You are defined by your citizenship in heaven. And when we go through life living that way, knowing who we are, we respond like people who know who we are. And we can respond by being a blessing in the people around us. Some of you know I spent a few weeks in Alaska last month. Had a great time. Served a little church up there in a fishing village. And this village, the total economy is supported by fishing. The people who work in the fish processing plant basically are the backbone of that community, along with the fishermen bringing the fish in. And watching them work, they're working long, hard days. They're working 16-hour days sometimes when there's a crush on and there's a bunch of boats lined up ready to be dropped off their fish. And the work is dirty and slimy and they're slinging fish down there and scraping fish bellies. Well, I saw the most interesting person working. It wasn't in the fish plant right there. It was about 10 miles away up the inlet. We took a boat ride one evening out to this scow, which basically is a, an old barge with huge plastic ice chests. Huge plastic ice chests. And they're filled with tons of fish. And the boats are lined up, and there are several boats anchored offshore waiting to unload their fish. And the person we went to visit was Deb. Deb is a member of this little fishing village that I told you about. She's a member of this little church. And I felt like a visiting fireman. Because I showed up with nothing to do. Here I am. She's not expecting us. And I'm standing around watching Deb work. And I know she's been on her feet for already at least 10 hours that day, if not more. She's probably already unloaded tons of fish. And there's four more boats waiting. And watching her work was the most amazing thing because she was smiling the whole time. She was bantering with the fishermen and the people around. 
she was handing out, I say, go over there and get yourself an ice cream bar out of the chest. And she was setting, hey, the prize, there was a big fish that came in while I was standing there. It was the biggest fish, that, the biggest king salmon anybody had brought in the whole summer. It was 60 pounds, and that was after it had been cleaned. The, the fisherman holding it was about this tall. And the fish was touching his shoelaces when he held it up. Anyway, Deb, how was she able to do this? Because I knew she had another probably four hours of work to go before her day was over. You see, I think the reason Deb was able to be such a blessing in people's lives there was because she knew her calling wasn't slinging fish. Any more than my calling isn't going to meetings or wearing a funny robe and talking at people. No, my calling is to be a blessing in people's lives. Deb's calling was to be a blessing in people's lives. I'm convinced that that is what she was doing. That she saw her calling clearly. And it was interesting because watching her work, I thought to myself, you know, she works like an owner. She wasn't working like the hired hands back in the village. And I asked somebody later on, and yes, of course, sure enough, it turned out she is an owner. She owns the fishing scow with her partners. Now, isn't it interesting to think about how we invest in life? Do we, do we work like owners? Whether we own our business or not, that's not the point. That's not what I'm talking about. Wherever we work, do we work like an owner? And do we live like an owner? Do we, do we live life like an owner of life? Do we live life like someone who is going to inherit life? And so we invest in life. Why? Because we know who we are. That is the greatest reward. That is how God blesses us in receiving a calling. I have a friend, George, who worked at Boeing his whole life, ended up being really depressed, not because of Boeing, but because he didn't really figure out his calling. He kept trying to find the meaning of his work in his, in his work, and it's not there. And when he retired, he retired into an incredibly deep depression. He was almost suicidal. He ended up in divorce. He ended up having broken relationships with all his grown children, didn't get to see his grandchildren. His whole life just fell apart. He was so depressed that no therapist was able to help him. Finally, he ended up talking to a therapist who told him, I can't help you. But go and, and just find some place to serve. Well, George took that advice. He started volunteering at hospice. He started caring for dying cancer patients in hospice. Changed his life. The depression went away. He's, he developed, redeveloped relationships with his family. His faith blossomed. He became someone who was just filled with joy. It's amazing to see George working with these hospice patients. He just radiates joy. Why? Because he found his calling. That's the blessing. When we find our calling and we figure out who we are. And you know, God has a calling for each and every one of us, no matter where we work. We have a calling to be a blessing to the people around us. And God has given us that 
opportunity to be a blessing for each of us. No matter where we are, we're in a place that God has given us an opportunity to be a blessing. And when we do that, we receive the blessing. The blessing of being a blessing. And we realize that God has called us to inherit a fortune, an inheritance that is so ridiculous that it's beyond our wildest imagination. And if He were to show up right now and speak to us, each one of us individually, and tell us what it's going to look like, we'd probably fall on the ground laughing. Just the way Abraham did. Because it's that big. He's called this church to an inheritance that's that big. Our inheritance is to get out in the world and start claiming our inheritance. Because the more we claim it, the more we give it away, the bigger it gets. That's the kind of inheritance it is. So what are we waiting for? Let's invest in life. Let's claim our inheritance. Let's give it away. Heavenly Father, Lord, help us to be the people that you called us to be. Remind us of it today and every day. And then, Lord, open our hearts to see how it works and to see how it grows in our own lives and in the lives of the people we love. And let us see how big that family of love is, Lord. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.